watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes the binge. binge. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we have three movies for you. The Lion King, The Farewell, and Sword of Trust. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. Speaking of which, I'm going to go. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Thanks for dropping in. Uh, yeah, guys, we're going to do things a little bit different this week uh, due to uh, due to sort of some technical difficulties that we just have stumbled upon as we began to tape. Uh, we are using three microphones this week because we have a special guest who we'll introduce in a moment. Um, and one of those mics has gone on the fritz. And that means this week uh, we are going to be without a Rebecca, uh, which is also okay because she is over three watching this week. I know, I know, you can't believe it. But one person who is two for three this week is our special guest. He is a comedian. He's a performer. He was my co-star in Peaches Christ Mean Gaze earlier this year. Welcome to the binge, Mr. Nick Sahoya. Hello, hello, bingistas. Hello. I ha- I'm drinking a very viscous chai, and I don't want to make any any mouth smacking sounds because oh. they really gross me out as a podcast listener. Mm-hmm. And you're on the good mic, so I am. So you're gonna hear all the smacks. It's gonna pick it up. It's gonna pick up. I sometimes walk home from a gig and I listen to my set, and I'm like, God, you made too many mouth smacking sounds. <laughs> That's why you didn't get Clusterfest. <laughs> That's exactly why you didn't get Clusterfest. I'm pretty sure they told you that directly when they declined your uh, your offer. So yes, I, I sent them an offer. Yeah, I also sure. like how you describe us as the stars of Mean Gaze. We were the stars of Mean Gaze. <laughs> it was just the t- you know your favorite two characters in Mean Girls, Damien and Aaron Samuels. Who would disagree? <laughs> uh, I heard many, many, many people I'm only friends with tell me that you and I were the best part of that show. I do think you were one of the best parts. I didn't mean that as a slight against you. Well, I you. just know that I have done, that was my third Peaches production. And it was my least amount of lines, which I'm not complaining about because mm. I do like smoking in between if there's a matinee and an evening show. Yeah. I like to have a little toke in the alley behind the Castro Theater. And I right. could do that as Aaron and Samuels. I don't think I could do that as Alec Baldwin and Sheetlejuice. He he had a lot of exposition. That's true. And he was also not an especially relaxed character. Yes. Very yeah. nervous. Yes. I mean, he's newly undead. He's trying to get a grasp on things. He's dealing with yuppies. Taking over, oh, yeah. his, taking over his house. A, an age-old struggle that continues to this day. Mm-hmm. Yuppies. So, yeah. So, they're yuppies and we don't mix, I think, was a truth universally acknowledged. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, I did see two whole movies this week, and that's a lot for me, yeah. personally. Because <laughs> I, I never leave the house, unless it's <laughs> Detective Pikachu or a Marvel film. But I saw two of these movies, yeah. Jason. Yeah, you really did. You come through, and I appreciate it. Uh, I was going to ask a bit about your background as a movie watcher. Uh, what kind of movies you're into, some of your all-time favorites, just so our listeners oh, get a okay. sense of where you're okay. coming from. Um, I do. I like movies a lot. I, I, if like I don't have anything to do and I'm downtown, I'll just go see whatever's playing. I, I appreciate movies like that. I sometimes like seeing a movie having not seen the trailer or knowing anything about it, which was my experience with two of the movies, <laughs> both of them that I watched. And then ironically, the third one I haven't seen, but I, I feel like I already have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Uh, because especially because Lion King 
this new version of it is quite literally a shot-for-shot shot remake, but we'll we'll get to that momentarily. Not since Gus Van Sant's Psycho has there been a shot-for-shot shot remake <laughs> such as this. And Beyonce was in that as well, right? She was. Yeah. Uh, she was. She many, was. Many people thought that was Anne Heche. It was uh, not. It was just Beyonce in a pussycat wig. Yes. <laughs> uh, and it went it went unremarked upon. So wait, you did see The Lion King? And I know we've all seen The Lion King. Did you see the new one? I have seen the new one, and that's what I'll be reviewing shortly. Shortly? Shortly. <laughs> what are we waiting for? <laughs> I want to know. Well, give me, give me just maybe three all-time favorite movies. Oh my gosh, you're going to do this to me, girl? Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to say that I could watch... And these this shifts. This is just what's popping into my head at this moment. I think I could put on Priscilla any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Just delightful. It's, um, it's a tour of all the emotions, and it's Australian. And that's two of my favorite things. Sure. Um, I think I could watch Almost Famous anytime. I know that was my mom's favorite movie for a long time when it came out. And eventually it rubbed off on me. I love that film. And then, oh gosh, I don't know. Um, I feel like I should say something sort of sci-fi fantasy Mm because it's a big chunk of movies that I like. So I'll just say Guardians of the Galaxy 1 is my favorite superhero movie, maybe. You know, I feel like those are three diverse picks. I yeah. feel like you're saying, don't try to pin me down. It won't work. Hey, you can't see what's coming when I had so much caffeine. I, can't. <laughs> I was going to get a drink before this. And I was like, don't go into this podcast drunk. So I just got a, a third coffee. And I think that was right. worse. <laughs> I think that right. was more of a problem. Because uh, you don't want to be drunk and also mouth smacking. Oh my God, mouth smacking. Can we talk about it? Let's do it. There's a lot of podcasts that I love, but they're just up in there chewing their nuts. Don't chew nuts on a podcast. Don't have a chewy, chewy cocoa bean. No, no. I don't even know if I ever listen to anywhere. I feel like that's happening. Okay, well, I I don't want to spill tea right here. (laughs) But there's there's a drag queen I really love. Um, who has a new podcast on a, a network that's about a sort of long-lasting canine. <laughs> and uh, she uh, she actually has a segment on her show where for the last 20 minutes, they just start eating. What? And I just turn it off. I mean, I guess that's a thing, right? Like, people well, like at least watching... they're polite about it because okay. there's other podcasts where just it's, a, it's supposed to be a podcast about not eating and they're just eating snacks and, and berries. I mean, is that is that like a is that like an ASMR thing? Is that like I don't a, know. Like people it, like watching YouTube videos of people just eating things, right? Isn't that a whole thing? That's a mukbang, right? Is that what that is? I, think, I, I don't know. know what's going on. I have a lot of friends who make content that is very confusing to me, but I think Boy. it's called a mukbang. <laughs> I don't even know. All I know is that when we watched the farewell, you force fed me some chicken fingers. <gasps> I did, but they were pretty good. Yeah, they that were was a classy bad. movie theater. I will say that the menu said they came with barbecue sauce, and that was definitely catchy. That that was my only disappointment. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised it didn't ruin the whole movie for you. No, that movie was still great. That's still that's spoiler alert. My favorite one of these three. (laughs) Yes, mine, too. Uh, Well, with that all said, I guess let's dive into our first movie this week, which is The Lion King. And I'm realizing as uh, so, guys, at this point, Rebecca has fully just fled the room. She kind of gave you the finger as she closed the door (laughs) behind her. That's kind of her move. Yeah, she was like, Nick is just kind of discovering for himself exactly what our dynamic is. 
and uh, and of course is is one of of of, of frequent uh, antagonism. Yeah, what uh, were you fighting about last week? I listened to last week's podcast. You're fighting about a, a a deep state thing. It was a deep state thing. <laughs> okay, cool. uh, is usually what comes up. Uh-huh. Deep state, deep faking. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's basically it's the film we will review last this week. Sort of trust is sort of a microcosm of the things we fight about. Okay. But uh, <laughs> so the funny thing is, Rebecca also normally reads the introductions to the movies with our little uh, synopses. Oh, and now well. You you shouldn't do it because I'm sitting in her chair. I should do it. Well, then have your have at it. Okay, here you I'm go. Do it. The Lion King. Simba idolizes his father, King Mufasa. I never thought of it that way, but I guess he does. Yeah. And takes to heart his own royal destiny on the plains of Africa. But not everyone in the kingdom celebrates the new cub's arrival. Scar, Mufasa's brother and former heir to the throne, has plans of his own. The battle for Pride Rock is soon ravaged with betrayal, tragedy, drama, and other Hamlet things. Ultimately resulting <laughs> is a big bathroom Hamlet. It ultimately resulting in Simba's exile. Now with help from a curious pair of newfound friends. Simba must figure out how to grow up and take back what is rightfully his. Rated PG for sequences of violence and peril and some thematic elements. Well done. Rebecca's canceled. <laughs> yeah, I can read. <laughs> I can watch two of three movies. More, I'm an expert podcast host. It's more than she's brought to the table this week. <laughs> uh, so... The Lion King. She's, she's mad. She's, she's now shouting from the next room. She's. I think she's... Barring the door shut and starting a small fire. Think, so uh, we, this is how things are going to end for us. Might uh, be it. Thanks for tuning in. But you're going to go down week. doing what you love, podcasting. You know, from the binge to the singe uh, <laughs> is what's happening. The singe, yeah. The singe. Uh, so uh, we were talking earlier about um, how we all feel like we've seen The Lion King. Yeah, I haven't seen any of these live action movies and I, I don't really feel the need to. Have you seen the previous ones also? Yes, I've saw, I saw Beauty and the Beast. I saw Aladdin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw... I think that's it so far. What's the been worst? More? Which is the worst oh, one? Oh, Aladdin. Uh-huh. <laughs> Aladdin is far and away the worst one. It was. I recently watched it a second time because Scott wanted to see it. And, oh my god, uh, you're such a good boyfriend, I, partner. <laughs> I try, uh, and is I. I'm always open to the thought that like I might be wrong about a movie, so like I'll be like, yeah, sure, I'll watch it a second time because uh, you know, like I yeah. feel like you never know. You can maybe in a weird mood, it rubs you the wrong way. The crowd energy is weird. You never any number of things can influence how you think about a movie you're watching. Sure. Uh, Mamma Mia 1, it took me uh, five times of watching it to realize this isn't the worst movie ever. It's one of the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a similar trajectory with Moulin Rouge when it first came out. You didn't like it. When oh. I first watched it, I hated it. Well, it is very in your face. Yeah. Baz Luhrmann's like, hey, like this. And you're like, no. no. But then you watch it and you're like, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. And then now I'm just like, I'm going to go see it in New York. But uh, So with Aladdin, however, the second viewing just confirmed all the many ways that it is terrible and actually removed one of the nice things that I had said about it, which is that I thought that Will Smith brought a lot of energy to the role. <laughs> uh, watching it a second time, I realized he actually doesn't. He doesn't. No. He, the energy that it takes to take a uh, check and put it into an ATM <laughs> for $15 million, that's the energy that he put into that right. part. <laughs> you know, it's quick, it's transactional. You uh, know what? He probably has a guy who does that for him. I don't think <laughs> you're going to catch Will Smith down at the Bank of America ATM. Do you think he wants to get paid in some sort of weird new bitcoin though oh yeah because he's like he's all into the he's in cryptos yeah yeah so so (laughs) however he downloads his like e doubloons or whatever e doubloons Uh, doubloons. yes i'm gonna go ahead and start get behind that 
so yeah, on second viewing, Aladdin was just terrible. The new Beauty and the Beast I liked. I actually didn't mind it. Uh, mm, who was uh, in it? Emma, it Emma Watson. Watson, yeah. Yeah. And She's then a gay great. candelabra, and a gay, and also and also gay. What's his face? They made the they made uh, you know the evil guys, the little henchmen, be like a Shmi? a fawning. A <laughs> oh fawning. no, wait, that's <laughs> that's Peter Pan. But he looks like him, right? Does he not right. look like Shmi? There, there's a Shmi vibe. There's a Shmi vibe. I swear to God, is his name Shmi in that too? No, I don't. Are think you sure? Is. What's French for Shmi? Shmi. Uh, Shmi. I, uh, I think it's always been Shmi. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's the guy. I'm like frantically. Oh, Lafou. Lafou. <laughs> I mean, that's a French Shmi if I ever heard one. <laughs> yeah. So you know, Gaston's henchman Lafou. Uh, you know, they turned him. They turned him gay for this one. And huh. uh, and you know, which why day, is he? Is he trying to fuck? Or do we swear on that? Yes, yeah. Or is he trying to fuck Gaston? There is definitely a strong subtext that that is like, yeah, is like Mm. in it trying to get the D whenever the getting's good. Was Gaston hot? Yeah, he was played by Luke Evans, who actually is gay. Oh, Uh, that's nice. So there was that. Josh Gad, however, plays LeFou. Oh, he's a good choice for that, though. Yeah. He's a funny little man. He is a funny little man. Um, And they basically give him one scene, one brief scene to the very end where he... We're not sure if LeFou knows the whole time that he's been gay. <laughs> um, we know that he definitely is, like, very attached to Gaston. And then there's, like, some other, like, gay character who never has no dialogue. And then in the final, like, dancing scene where all the characters are just having a big party... Uh, they somehow LeFou and this other gay guy come together on the dance floor and kind of like take dance position together. And LeFou kind of looks in his eyes like a word. <laughs> and uh, and then that's how we realize that, oh, now LeFou has found a boyfriend. That's how I met my first boyfriend. Is it? Yeah. A bunch of uh, forks turned into people. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, one thing led to another. Right. This is just like then. Yeah. And you were smoking between um, performances. of Beetlejuice. <laughs> Definitely. So that's when the shit goes down. Uh, you mentioned the Gus Van Sant Psycho remake earlier, and uh, and in that I don't know if you remember this, but in that movie, I did not see it. Oh, okay, I, <laughs> I know a lot about it. But and I've never one of my seen favorite it. things about it is that um, Julianne Moore playing the sister of the um, of Anne Hage's character. Um, is Aunt, does Anne Hage get stabbed in the shower? She does. Okay. Yes. And Julianne Moore comes to be like, "Hey, what happened? Yeah, she's like, here. She's like, where's my sis?" And except um, Julianne and Gus made the decision that Julianne's character in this remake would be a lesbian. Oh, fun. But since it's a shot for shot, word for word remake, they could only communicate that through nonverbal cues. Did she have like an Indigo Girls CD on her dashboard? Or <laughs> Really? The way it manifests is through a very sturdy gait. A gate? Yes, a sturdy gate. How she walks the or she a, walks. a barrier that opens? <laughs> yes, that too. She, okay. she stomps up to it and she kicks it down. Okay. She's wearing Birkenstocks. Yeah. And it's like, I'm getting the picture. Like a lesbian uh, eponine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, a lesbian eponine uh, is also the vibe of that. But <laughs> so, uh, so that was another shot for shot remake. And this new Lion King is essentially a shot for shot remake of the animated original, except for now it's been done in this photorealistic way uh where it looks like you're looking at a nature documentary yeah except for when the animals like talk which is weird (laughs) (laughs) that seems that's a hard sell for me it's a weird mix because i don't know i like watching planet earth when i'm like over at a guy's house and he's like hey you want to watch planet earth and i'm like yeah sure yeah um but i've never thought i would like it better if these 
people were talking and singing Elton John songs. Mm. I it never it didn't never occurred to me. You no. Sure? No, no, no. Because right. I'm, I'm not even watching Planet Earth that closely. I don't want to hear. Uh, well, here's what I will say. This is what my big compliment mm. okay. for the new Lion King. I will say that Jonathan Taylor Thomas becoming Donald Glover is actually like a really accurate like line graph of my sexual preferences mm. <laughs> since the two movies have come out. You know, yeah, yeah it's no. really following my taste nicely, which I appreciate. That's accurate. Yes, I would say yes. Anyone in our general age bracket. Uh, certainly was attracted to Jonathan Taylor Thomas whenever the first Lion King came out. Yeah. And, and certainly today. I was Googling today, him recently for yeah, this have movie. Seen, have you seen recent photos of him? I no. I wonder what he. No, I think he went, I think I was reading he became a recluse. Yeah. Oh boy. I was gonna say, I wonder if it's like a Greta Garbo, Marlena Dietrich thing where he's just like, won't be photographed again, except uh, for in like really soft lighting or well, some sort of Tennessee Williams heroin kind of way. I was thinking maybe he like went to a place with a waterfall and is now hiding out with his two friends and maybe he'll come back <laughs> and reclaim his rightful throne that Donald Glover <laughs> has taken from him. <laughs> Sounds improbable. Mm-hmm. Um so, uh, yes. So in this movie, as you mentioned, Donald Glover voices the adult version of Simba. Uh, once we come out on the other side of the harrowing introductory section of the film, uh, in which we have, you know, little baby Simba yeah. you know, losing his his dad, which is the tough. Disney trope. The yeah. Disney trope. You got to kill the, the parent. Mm-hmm. And uh, at this point, so it's it's it's. You know, listeners, you might be surprised that we mentioned that Rebecca is going to be watching this movie uh, directly after we tape this uh, this episode, because so Rebecca famously is very, 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 very hypersensitive to any animal sadness. Oh, sometimes all it takes is just literally just a perfectly fine animal sitting there in good health and she's a wreck. I, I sometimes just start crying when I see a cute cat, you know, Yeah, you, you like walking around the neighborhood, pops out from behind a car. You're like, oh, my right. baby. Right. And then you're just a puddle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, essentially, Rebecca is here with me co-hosting this then because she's, yeah. she's the same way. And she had been expecting she has been uh, even I think the mere mention of the Lion King trailer when it first came out reduced her to tears. <laughs> she couldn't bring herself to watch even a second of it. Uh, we joke that if she were to come with me to the screening, that we would need to have like an ambulance waiting outside just in case. Um, and she's actually now choosing to go and see it, which is, I, I think, shows great uh, strength of character on her part. What's she going to do when they get to the wildebeest uh, uh, stampede? I'm just going to have my police thing on because yep. I need to be listening for all We should the get her subscribed to Life Alert before... <laughs> She gets to the theater. Yeah, I think there needs to be something she can press. Yes. Uh, Or maybe something that's laying on the floor where she will flop down. Oh, yeah. Or you know what's even better is like she has to hold on to it. And the second Mm. she releases, Mm -hmm. that's when the cops come to save her. Like a grenade. Well, not cops. Uh, Like helpful people. Sure. Doctors. (laughs) Yeah, like doctors. Um, or yeah, something like, I don't know, it's like speed, you know, it's like, it's if like, she lets go of the thing or the grenade, if she like drops the pin. It's like then, a grenade, you know. except for when you let go, you know right. that she's crying. It's like a tear grenade. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's what we're going to give her back before she leaves tonight. Uh, so yeah, so that, that whole intro part of the movie is still very sad to sit through. And here's what brings us to one of the biggest complaints I've seen about this movie, which is the idea that it is very much in the quote unquote uncanny Valley, uh, area of animation. 
you've seen the trailers, right? Yeah, and it does look real, mm-hmm. but I feel like they're showing me some very select things. <laughs> you know, I can make three seconds of a lion look real. Can I make him look real for a long time? I don't know. He's calling you out, Lion King. Do we have more than three seconds here? Uh, you'll have to go see it to find out. But to me, I thought the animals actually looked fine. I didn't have any difficulty with the eyes because everyone's like, oh, look, the eyes are just dead. I'm like, the eyes look like animal eyes. I, animals have different eyes than humans. They do. It's just- do you want them to have like Sonic the Hedgehog eyes and teeth? <laughs> Like, it looks like an animal. <laughs> if it was a goat, he would have weird, like, square pupils, you know? It's tr- it's supposed to look real, not look like... It's not... It, here's what it, I'm glad it doesn't look like, is Andy Serkis's Jungle Book movie, where they just kind of, like, slap a face onto it. <laughs> well, uh, this is that same director. This is also directed by John Favreau. No, so, not that ju- Jungle Book. You don't know about Andy Serkis's Jungle Book? Called Wait. Mowgli. Oh, <laughs> his competing dark. No, <laughs> because you know when you think Jungle Book is like, I really want a dark, gritty take yeah. on this one. Mm-hmm. Right, Nolan this thing up. Yeah, right. I want to feel like I'm watching Bad. Mowgli Lieutenant. begins. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh we got trained by ninjas. <laughs> no, I forgot about that. Right, this is sort of gradually just turns into Kill Bill too. How? What's the uncanny level between the Lion King lions and the cats? Cats. Did did you see the cats yet? No. Uh, as we're recording this, the trailer for Cats dropped today. I have not watched it's it. It's scary. I received, yeah, I've received a series of very startled texts about I it. I watched it with no sound, and I was like, that's all I need to see from this. <laughs> You're not going to sleep tonight, I no. don't think. Uh, so is that meant to be the same thing? Is it like a photorealistic thing where it's like, look, they're real it's cats? It's more like uh, furries, and I don't use that disparagingly. Sure. It's, but I don't think they realize that they basically made a furry porn <laughs> movie. That is tough. Yeah, it's like... Also, there's like a big uh, kerfuffle on Twitter because it's like, why do the cats have tits? And my question is, why don't they have six? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. if, if the cat the has boobs, you right. know... I've seen cat boobs. There's not two. Listen, stop bragging. <laughs> yeah, I've been to cat Mardi Gras. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, uh, I have not seen it yet, but that is... Those are all great questions, and this is... This is why we have the internet um, to, you know, to sort of scold, uh, you know, Sonic for having weird teeth and mm-hmm. to lament the Lion King for being too realistic and then to give cats boobs. Cats need boobs. So, Hashtag. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm tired of this, of the erasure of the other four boobs. I'm tired of that. Lower already. boob erasure. Yeah, I'm done with it. I feel like it needs to be called out. Call out culture needs to be used for just this reason. So do you like this movie? Is it a movie people should see? That's a good question. Um... Wonderful I, voice cast, of course. Yeah, the voice cast is it's it's the voice cast is here and there. So <laughs> I would say I would say the undisputed stars of the voice cast are Billy Eichner, Seth Great. Rogen, and John Oliver. Great. The three of them three funny people. bring a lot of hilarity to the role. And what's remarkable to me is that um Billy Eichner said in an interview I was reading the other day that they actually did do, uh, he and Seth Rogen did a ton of improv while they were taping their parts, and the movie used it, which I don't think you get mm. a lot in animation. Uh, yeah. With animation, I feel like it has to be just so choreographed down to the syllable, and they actually like just let them riff, and then they're like, yeah, that's good, let's, let's go with that. Well, good, then there's one new thing in the movie. There is. So that's great. <laughs> there is. <laughs> but I'm sure, didn't they also add a song so that Beyonce can get nominated for another Oscar? They did. Okay. They did. And for an Oscar. Is um, it a good song? She's not been nominated before. 
What about her song from Dreamgirls? Did listen? Well, I don't, well, she wasn't a writer on it, I don't think. Oh. She didn't so. get credit for singing it? <laughs> no. Oh, well, that sucks. Singing gets you nowhere. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they did add that song, and that song is very boring. Oh. Um, I do not. And they, they don't even actually show her singing it in the movie. It just plays in the background during like a montage sequence. So it's oh, not even like a So they didn't have any belief in the song themselves, <laughs> they obviously. Did, they did not believe in spirit. Because I watched uh, all of that Dreamgirls song. Yeah. She I mean, sang listen, that whole damn thing. She sang the hell out of it. It's good. They added it to the Broadway version. I, I heard that. I don't think they'll be adding spirit to the particularly Moore's weird Broadway Lion King. Oh, wouldn't that be cool? That would be great. And I wonder if it's actually Elton John being like, here's what you're not going to (laughs) do. It's like, Ms. Knowles is welcome to add a song, but it will not be coming from mouths of any of these precious lions. And it won't be her like fourth single that she cut from the end of Lemonade. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. So the Beyonce of it all is an interesting subject with Lion King, because here's the thing. When we think about all the things that Beyonce is great at, I would go so far as to say that her speaking voice is not at the top of the list. Um, yeah, I'm going to go there. Okay, go- let's I'm- get into it. I'm going to speak critically. Uh, she has never been a dynamic speaker. Argue- yeah, I agree. I love hearing her talk. I do not expect from her or think she is capable of like modulating her voice yeah. when she's not singing. Her speaking voice is very flat. Yeah. But, you know, like, she can't be doing all the ups and downs all the time you know she's got to save that for the songs right she saves any even minor uh uh, alteration of 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 tone (laughs) for the singing the rest of it it is just a flat sort of a warm reassuring monotone Mm -hmm. but a monotone all the same sure um i don't know it's it's hard to criticize beyonce (laughs) because she's great i love her yeah but there's a lot of people who end up in movies because they're a big personality and there's a lot of people who end up in movies because it's like oh well this was the best voice actor yeah and i know that certain voice actors in the sort of voice acting community are a little annoyed that Mm. now so much of the casting is just like stunt casting star power like yeah well and she uh I think that it is it is interesting to experience Beyonce reduced to arguably her weakest trait. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then also the singing bit. Uh, she basically just has the one song in the movie that she when she does a duet with Don uh, Don Glover to "Can You Feel the Love Can You Tonight? Feel the Love." And I don't know that they recorded it together. Maybe not. They are busy people. <laughs> they are busy. They're busy people. They do a lot for the culture. Um, but they. Sk- sing it kind of differently from each other hmm. uh where don Gl- i mean don glover is not like a belter singer you no know? i mean he has a you know he's a he has a lovely singing voice uh but he is not going to be you know doing any beyonce style runs um but the thing is that she can she just goes straight to that area she just goes immediate like immediate like vibrato quavering voice really yeah. high really like she just kind of comes barreling in and kind of sings him right off the screen and it just doesn't feel like a successful duet in that way because they're not really engaging with each other's voice at all they're both just kind of singing at the same time and she is doing it the beyonce way and then he is just kind of there so mm. it's a little tough i don't i don't think i need to see this <laughs> If I'm being perfectly honest. And at times, her casting is just distracting. Like, there are moments when you're thinking about who else is voicing the other characters, and you're just kind of like, oh, look, like, Beyonce's trying to eat Seth Rogen. Uh, <laughs> it's alarming. That's what it is. 
Uh, in any other movie, that might be a no. strange sight, but uh, it sounds it sounds right. It does. Um, it works, and you know, when Seth Rogen is playing a farting warthog, which feels like kind of on brand. Yeah, very on brand. Does he smoke weed? <laughs> he uh, that's, that's, <laughs> sneaks a little bong rip. I feel like that's probably like the one improv they cut out. They're yeah, just like, they're like, sorry, <laughs> Seth, we can't. He's like, oh, come on, because you know, um, it's a Moan and Pumbaa, just like the otter and the bear who live together, <laughs> like right outside the city, and smoke a lot of weed because they live on a farm and they can afford to just have weed all the time. That dynamic comes through really strongly in this movie. Good. Uh, the one other thing I'll say about the voice cast is James Earl Jones is the one uh, member of the cast from the original who is also um, reprising his voice performance here as Mustafa. M- Mufasa. As, as Mufasa. Did I say Mustafa? You said Mustafa. Is that not? Is that Aladdin? Mustafa is, I just think, a queen song. Is it? Wow. <laughs> I think uh, it's a name. My... My from brain. the region, but... Uh, My brain's a stew. Yes. <laughs> um, so, plays Mufasa. Mufasa. And, uh... <laughs> And there's, you know, and he. Why course, didn't they invite back Whoopi Goldberg then? She's available. It's a great question. Maybe her rate was too much. Maybe, Maybe she's just like, here's what my, you know, if you want Whoopi, here's what you gotta put down. But James Earl Whoopi. Jones always want Whoopi. Was apparently all too happy uh, to return and to reprise the role of Mufasa. <laughs> and um, <laughs> you really took a run and start into that, but, and you stuck the landing. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> but there's one part where I feel like his voice is actually not helpful. Uh, so when the moment comes for Mufasa's death, uh, they, uh, rather than have like, perhaps like one of the several lion like roar sound effects play as he plummets to his death, they instead have James Earl (laughs) Jones do this. (laughs) And it just sounds like an old man going. And then and it's, and it was and, weird because he said, don't push me off this cliff. <laughs> <laughs> no. I said, no. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, and then we're watching this like photorealistic lion, like kind of like <laughs> writhing and falling to its death while you hear the sound of an old man going, ah. <laughs> and then they do a callback to it later in the movie where they show it. And again, you have to hear it. Just show me. Hey, just show me the same clip. Drop the audio. I think that would have more emotional impact anyway. I know. Like has Big Little Lies taught us nothing? Like nothing is more impactful than when you just drop the audio out from a powerful moment. Yeah. It's like, it's 101. It's film school 101. It really is, actually. What are we doing? (laughs) Uh, So Lion King didn't get the memo. Jon Favreau did not get the memo. Um, So What are you doing? You binging it? No, I would say that this is a consume. Um, I'm not going to go all the way. I mean, critics have been like claws out for this. So claws out. You're like those annoying like Axios headlines where it's like <laughs> Lion King prides its way to first place at the box office. <laughs> uh, you know, listen, we all freelance how we have to, but uh, but yeah, no, I I didn't hate it. I was like, yeah, like it's basically just a quote unquote live action version of the original. Um, and I understand that Disney, you know, they just don't have enough money, so they just kind of have to keep doing oh my these gosh. things. Thank goodness the the poor people at Disney will be able to yeah. buy a present for their children. So you got to support, Christmas. support them guys. And, uh, but at least, you know, it seems like with the little mermaid, they're at least um, making some interesting casting choices. Yes. Uh, that so. one seems vaguely interesting to me, but I yeah. still probably will not see it. <laughs> that is fair. Uh, all right. Well guys, that wraps our review on the lion King as, uh, as Nick read earlier, uh, it's rated PG for sequences of violence and peril and some thematic elements. 
That brings us to our second movie this week, uh, The Farewell, which is our pick of the week. Don't you love thematic elements, though? Mm -hmm. I hate when my elements are not thematic. Whenever I'm in a test screening, I always write that in my card. Needed more thematic elements. (laughs) Okay, so this one's actually much shorter. Yeah. So, and maybe for the best, because this is a movie I think definitely the less you know going in, the better. Mm. Okay. Billy's family returns to China under the guise of a fake wedding to stealthily say goodbye to the beloved matriarch, the only person who doesn't know that she has a few weeks to live. So I didn't put in the punctuation in the right spot. <laughs> but basically what that that summary is saying is the beloved matriarch, the, the grandma of this family, is the only one in the family who does not know that she has a terminal illness and has like... I think they say at the beginning, three months. Yeah. Yeah. So a very short period of time. And it's PG for thematic elements. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually, when I was putting this together, I was shocked to see that it's just PG. But then I was like, yeah, I guess it would be. I don't even know that they swear that much now that I think about it. There's some drinking. Yeah. There's some cigarettes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. about it. There's 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 a wedding which implies coitus. But I guess yeah, those two are probably going at it probably before and after. It, it seemed like and plus they just barely knew each other, so at that point, yes. all the time, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, so I guess this actually like this is probably one of the, one of the coolest PG rated movies I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I would say I'm I am gonna maybe regret the statement later, but I mm-hmm. think maybe it's my favorite movie I've seen this year. It is. For sure. It's right up there. On my list of the best movies of this year so far. I mean, there's Avengers, but that's like, it's apples and oranges. Like, this is probably the best movie, film type movie Mm -hmm. that's not part of a long TV show about superheroes that I've seen this year. I think it was really great. For me, it's definitely in my top five. Uh, My number one remains The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Which which I have not seen. You gotta see. It's so good. I gotta see it. I live here. You do. You live here now. I probably gentrified him out, (laughs) so I should know (laughs) what I did. Right. You're gonna be in the backdrop. They're gonna have an unthank you section at the end of the credits, and then Nick Sahoya. Sahoya It's on your IMDb now. Listen, there's one more credit on your IMDb. That's what counts. You know what? That helps. So, but, uh, so The Farewell, you went into this, as you mentioned earlier, knowing nothing about it. Uh, I merely said, come see this movie and you were like all right i didn't even know aquafina was in it until we walked into the theater and then i saw um the tableau of the poster which is like a bunch of family members on a white couch mm-hmm. and they look they don't look happy right and i was like jason did you take me to a sad movie because i cry at every movie and uh and did you cry oh i cried so much jason jason i cried yeah and it's obviously a cliche, the the laugh through tears, but I would say this is a a prime example of a good laugh through tears movie because I think because of the nature of the secret and people having to hide their emotions, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the funniest moments come like sort of in the middle of a sad moment. You know, mm-hmm. there was times where I there's a scene at the wedding where the father character is saying things that you know are obviously a little there's a there's a veil of mystery around them and we know what he's really talking about and it really got me because he's he's having this emotional moment in front of all these people and then it sort of switches to the other side 
and everyone else just thinks he's giving a wedding speech and no one else is moved by it. And it's hilarious. It's truly mm-hmm. hilarious to be right there emotionally with his character and see that he's completely alone mm-hmm. <laughs> in mm-hmm. what he's thinking and feeling. Yeah, no, it's a great scene. Uh, so as as the synopsis alluded to, this is the story of a young Chinese-American woman named Billy, who's played by Aquafina, uh, who, yeah, finds out that her beloved grandmother, who they call Nai Nai, uh, has three months to live, and uh, and apparently this is this is the big um, teachable uh, from this movie for American white people is that this is apparently a real thing in Chinese culture. Mm-hmm. I actually just last night watched Aquafina and Colbert talking about this. Oh wow! Uh, because I've actually seen some reviews by a lot of white American critics being like the absurd Arr. premise. <laughs> uh, you know, the so-called this absurd- isn't representative of me. <laughs> right, where's I, where's me in this movie? <laughs> uh, it actually is a real thing. It's a thing in, in Chinese culture. And as they explain it in the movie and as Aquafina attempted to explain to Stephen Colbert, um, this comes from a sense of um, sort of a, a lack of focus on the individualist uh, sort of uh, ethos that yes. we have in, in the West. Um, and the focus more on the collective and on the family, wherein the idea is that it's actually worse to force the person who's dying to take on that emotional burden. Yeah. And so instead, the family carries it for them. So yes. they're able to live without that. Which is very interesting. Very interesting. And I've, I find it a little strange that those journalists didn't see any of themselves in it because I thought that in spite of that sort of cultural um idea as the hook of the film everything else about it was very relatable like i come from a like irish mexican catholic family and very similarly there's just certain things that we don't talk about and there's a lot of things that go unsaid and then there's the things that i'll talk about with my parents and the things that i will talk about with my aunt and the things that i'll talk about with my grandma they don't necessarily overlap you mm-hmm. know there's all these secrets going around in families and i think this was a a funny and frank way to like sort of look at the consequences of that because some of the consequences I think are good and mm-hmm. I think that's maybe what's interesting watching it as an American viewer is this very different way of dealing with mm-hmm. a situation there's there's some merit to it yeah there's definitely that universality to it while also the great specificity of it all and you know similarly to and of course because there's so few it can only be compared to like one movie but you know uh similarly to crazy rich asians it also dives a great deal into the sort of culture clash between chinese and chinese american Mm -hmm. uh and uh but i would say to to much more you know nuanced subtle effect here oh my gosh yeah for if you are one of those um well-minded critics out there who thought that uh crazy rich asians was like a little too um bombastic and like a little too broad uh, a little too broad a little too almost unrelatable and unrealistic like this is sort of a similar story of a chinese american person going um back to china and Mm I think it's a more universal experience for a lot of Chinese American people. I mean, I I obviously can't speak to that, but based on what I know growing up with friends who are first generation, it, it, I felt like I have met the character Aquafina was playing, you know, that, that felt like a very, not completely universal, but a very relatable, like she's an American girl. We have all met this girl. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I really liked about her her performance. Cause normally we see her as this very, big character you Mm -hmm. know making big choices like she makes big choices in this movie but they're all sort of about being more subdued and i think that's what works for the performance and i think she should win an oscar and i think that if the academy doesn't give her an oscar um 
They're racist. For sure racist. Yes. <laughs> and that will be the first time the Oscars have ever done anything racially tone deaf. <laughs> so that'll be one for the record books. <laughs> uh, it would. Uh, it would be a wild thing to experience. I can't imagine it happening. But, Couldn't imagine it. <laughs> uh, I actually had a... I genuinely walked away from this movie thinking that Aquafina deserves to be nominated for an Oscar for At it. least nominated. Come on. Yeah. like that, It's a really fabulous performance. And... With a comedian, a comedic actor, I should say, you know, or not, you know, there's a million ways a sort of sad, introspective character can come off as like really unlikable. Mm -hmm. And you're really right there with her on her whole journey, even when she's not telling you what she's feeling. I think it it was really effective. It's a good script. All the characters are really well defined. You know, uh, the whole family, I felt like I know, like, okay, the uncle does this, the the dad does this, the mom, this is her quirk, you know? Yeah, they did a good job, yeah, distinguishing what each character brings to the, you know, the chemistry, the dynamics of the family. I think if I had to criticize one thing about it, it would be that I don't feel like we spent enough time with Billy before she gets plunged into the central conflict. So we didn't really, like, we know that she has, like, missed out on a job or a fellowship. Yeah. Which, not not the most relatable thing. She didn't get, like, a <laughs> MacArthur Genius Grant. Yeah, that's so sad. <laughs> um, and uh, so that's pretty much all we know. Uh, and you know. she's she is struggling with money, but right. I will say you see her apartment, her Manhattan or Brooklyn apartment yeah, a couple looks times. Nice. It's very nice. <laughs> it looks like it's out of a like a um a catalog yeah it's a very pinterest ready oh it's so pinterest so uh so i think there's i think there you know it would have been since she is the protagonist mm-hmm. i feel like they could have maybe developed the character of billy just a bit more and we get you know by the end basically so she's had this one setback and then sort of like the ultimate emotional clinch pin is kind of you know getting this you know last bit of it encouragement from her nai to help carry her through this this kind of period of uncertainty in her like where i guess we're meant to think like early 20s life in new york is kind of being just who am i where am i going in my life um so i feel like just a, just a touch more development there would, sure. have been, would have been nice but like by no means do i think that's a giant ding against the movie but this is a um a first time director right second time yeah. oh second time right because yeah, so we we were i we were, we were looking her. it up yeah her name is lulu wang um and she is the writer and director of this film and i think she deserves to be nominated for original screenplay yes of course i think that i i can't say it and i think we were both walking away saying that the actress who played Nai absolutely should absolutely be a real contender yeah. for supporting actress a million she, percent she carries because what um aquafina is doing sort of quietly mm-hmm. Nai is doing the the polar opposite she's huge like every right. scene with her is so full of energy and so full of like it's 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 a great juxtaposition, and I would love to see them both nominated. That would be fantastic. And according to IMDb, I think this is actually at least the first credited performance by the actress who plays Nai Nai. No way, she's awesome. It's incredible. Uh, watching Aquafina on Colbert, I also had the thought that I'm like, is Aquafina actually basically Natasha Leone? Interesting. <laughs> Cause, why? Because of the bangs because and the they, voice. <laughs> they have like they're both like born and bred New Yorkers. They're sure. Both, like, and they're both like super New Yorkers. Very New York. Uh, they both yeah. They both have like that kind of raspy voice. Oh, is Aquafina sober? That's a good question. I want to know because right. that could be another. Where is she in her journey? Because of course, 
Natasha's journey led her to that. Yeah. Uh, when she was Aquafina's age, she was not. Yes. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> uh, but uh, but at this point, uh, yeah, I just got that vibe, and it just made me like her more. Well, uh, Russian Doll season two starring Aquafina. Let's I do would it. Watch the hell out of it. Let's do it. Uh, were you surprised by her performance in this movie, or were you just like, oh yeah, I bet she, I, I'm not surprised that she had that in her, that she could be so nuanced. I think broad general statement, and this this isn't a surprise because. Hollywood goes to this well a lot. I think that if a person is a very talented comedic actor, they will also be a very talented dramatic actor because Mm -hmm. people think that being a comedic actor is just like about being like a big, broad character, but you have to earn jokes through uh, quietness and um, a a lack of energy sometimes and Mm -hmm. knowing how to do both, you know, if, if your only job on set is to, okay, pull back and be more human, I think most comedic actors can do that. I think it's harder for a traditional actor to do something that's funny. I think that's right. actually the harder direction to go in. That's, that's very true. But, uh, you know, some comedians are just never going to get that chance because it's like the Academy's like, oh, they made a joke about their vagina. Mm-hmm. No thanks. Hard pass. <laughs> Crude. Uh, I saw uh, a review also mentioned that they're like, you know, I think Aquafina might be, or this is the same critic who was just like, this is an absurd premise. Um, they were like, Aquafina is still more of a personality than an actor. But I, I think that's, I don't think that's true. I think I this think actually disproves that. I that was going d- totally into this, disproves that. Going into this, yes. Going into this based on Crazy Rich Asians and Ghostbusters, or not Ghostbusters, but Ocean's 8, I probably would have been inclined yeah. to be like, yeah, maybe. Kind of playing the same character. Yeah, just like a, you know, like a, like a bit of a Beyonce. Who, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. And Nala is no different than Dina Jones. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but no, I think. Or, the, or Foxy Cleopatra. Or Foxy Cleopatra, <laughs> for that matter. Or Etta James. Uh, whoever she played in the Pink Panther. Uh, uh, Pinky. <laughs> yeah. I think her name was Pinky. I think that's right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I think this movie completely disproves the idea that she is that kind of like stock comic actor who just like has a type that you cast her to play and then that's it. Yeah, because I think even... Well, it's a strange critique because, like, I think other people who have done this switch, like um, Steve Carell, mm-hmm. you know, like... Yeah, they maybe had shown more diversity in their comedic characters, but they also had more time to do so. This is what Aquafina's like fourth yeah. major feature and first so. starring, first leading role, first starring role. Yeah, so I think she hit it out of the park. Um, I don't know what what else you could expect out of like a freshman entry into yeah. like uh, lead yeah. feature acting. Yeah. This is above and beyond anything I could have expected. Um, so great. And lastly, would you want to know or not know if you were in Nine Nine's position? <sighs> okay. So I want to know, but I also know how my brain works right. <laughs> and I would be able to enjoy those last three months. <laughs> <laughs> I would just be thinking about it. I would be like, well, then just let I'll clock out now. You know, I don't want to die slowly. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go skydiving. <laughs> I fully, fully agree. That's that's where my thought process brought me as well, where I was like, of course, I'd want to know. I'd be so outraged if I got to the end. And just when things get really bad, then they decide to tell me and I'm like, I've been doing fuck all. Um, but, uh, but yeah, because like, three months is not enough time to make any big life no, changes. Like you're no. not going to get anything off the bucket list. Right. Yeah. And you're only gonna be able to afford so much travel unless mm-hmm. you want to just like, you know, load your credit card or you and then just leave bankrupt it to your, your family. Ones. Yes. Such yeah. a good choice. Always. I'm going to do that. I'm going to yes. max out. <laughs> 
all my credit cards. I'm going to get a boat loan. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would for sure need like at least like Ambien to help me sleep because I would just be like, oh, my God, like what's it going to be like? Like what's going to happen? Like there's there's no enjoying uh, once you know that kind of thing is going to happen. I can't imagine. No, because like, I don't know. I have a I have a I don't think I could do it. Yeah. I don't want to know. Yeah. All right. <laughs> this, is, this is tacit permission. <laughs> right. This is to yeah. all of my loved ones with power of attorney. Exactly. If I if I get a diagnosis and it's bad, just don't tell me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll right. keep binging just... old TV shows on Hulu. <laughs> and to be clear, this is not a DNR order. <laughs> this is just us saying. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, not well, my official DNR. Right. Yeah. No, no signature on that. But uh, but yeah, I'm I agree. Uh, this is. Like we have said, one of the best films of the year. It's lovely. And you know what? Go out and see it. Because if you went out and you saw Spider-Man, you know, take the time to see this too. It's not as easy to yeah. be like, oh, I got to see that in theaters. Yeah. It would be just as, fa- as satisfying, I think, watching this on a plane or on HBO. But mm-hmm. go give it your money. It's yeah. a really good movie. And I want to see more stuff like this. So yeah. you, you there with the wallet, take <laughs> it, give it to Aquafina and her right. friends. <laughs> Yeah, it deserves it. Uh, it is a full binge it. Uh, and also, binge. if we made it sound like it's a bummer, it's really not. It's very, yeah. it's very funny. You will cry a lot, but I think I, I think there's more laughing than crying. I would agree. I would agree. And I think it, it kind of, it really saves. It has like a very emotional sort of punch right at the end. Yeah, uh, actually, and, I would say that was my biggest cry. Yeah. Of my three or four big cries right. in the film. My, my biggest one came at the end. But you know what? That's where I want my biggest cry. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, you know, in movies, but was I crying because of sadness or joy? Ooh, go see the film and find out. You're not going to know until you see it. (laughs) As we mentioned, it is somehow rated PG, even though it's a great adult film. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Don't take kids to this. They won't like it. Our third and last film this week is sword of trust. Sword of Trust, a cantankerous pawn shop owner and his man-child employee team up with an out-of-town couple who are trying to hawk a Civil War-era sword inherited from a recently deceased grandfather. The sword comes with a convoluted report claiming the relic is proof that the South won the war. It isn't long before the item draws attention from enthusiastic conspiracy theorists who are anxious to get their hands on the coveted sword. Rated R for language throughout. Nonstop fucks. Yeah, they say fuck a lot. The whole time. Um, I'm glad we're talking about this movie, The Last, because I had, I guess, the most mixed opinion on it. Mm-hmm. I definitely laughed a lot. I want to say that first and foremost. I was busting out laughing at several parts of this movie, and a lot of them were the sort of more obvious, like, physical, like, broad jokes, but... There was a uh, long period where I think it's maybe a 20 minute scene where it's just the four of them in talking the truck, in the back of a truck. Some of my biggest laughs of the whole film, just from very well written dialogue. I don't know if it was improvised, it's but largely improvised. The dialogue is you can tell it's fantastic. They have a very great rapport. And I would say right. that's kind of what I like most about the movie is the the sort of flippant tone that everyone takes when they're talking to each other. Mm hmm. Because you start this movie and it, it's like Mark Marin and he's like real sad and like there's his <laughs> ex girlfriend's coming to visit him so that she can buy crack and I'm like, right. what fucking dramedy are we watching? Like, is he going for his like dramatic Golden Globe or whatever? <laughs> and very quickly, once the the lesbian couple shows up, you realize no, this is like a straight up screwball comedy, yeah. which I was not expecting. Yeah. 
And I actually, I think this is one of the rare cases where, where I will say, watch a trailer first. Because <laughs> <laughs> that first 15 minutes, I was, I was without a, a, an oar in the yes. middle of a great sea. I had no idea what direction we were going. And it didn't, for once, it didn't add pleasure for me it made me confused (laughs) yeah agreed yeah the first 15 minutes i was like isn't this supposed to be funny surely with with mark maron and michaela watkins and jillian bell this will be funny at some point oh that's who that was jillian bell yeah and the other one's michaela watkins Mm -hmm. who is from snl originally she was one of that she was part of that class of people that like get were given nothing to do and now do great things like casey wilson and jenny slate i'm so sorry for interrupting who's the short hair one uh, that is Jillian Bell. That's Jillian Bell? Yeah. I, can I tell you something funny? Yes. I was about 80% sure that was Shailene Woodley the whole time. <laughs> because, here, let me tell me why. Because <laughs> more than any actress in recent Hollywood history, I've not seen someone go from YA star, potential Mary Jane Watson, to... <laughs> I'm a mom. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is the next step of her journey. She's oh, a mom on Big Little Lies. Now right. she's like a 30-something-year-old lesbian. <laughs> Truly, I also don't know what her face looks like. <laughs> None of us do. I've, apparently, I don't know what she looks like no. or who when she is. When it comes is. to Shailene Woodley, we all have facial blindness. Yes, a little bit. We just bit. know that she's not Jennifer Lawrence. Yes. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, this is Jillian Bell. And, Jillian Bell, love her. And she is wearing... Um, and she's on Big Little Lies. <laughs> and she's on Big Little Lies. Uh, and I think she's going to give it to Meryl this week. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so, you know, Jillian Bell in this movie is sporting what I now associate to be Captain Marvel's current haircut. Oh, yes. It was actually a very Captain Marvel kind of side swoop. Yeah. Which I liked. I liked her hair. If I can give one compliment <laughs> out the gate. To Shailene Woodley. <laughs> Shailene's very funny in this. Um, who, who, ma- who made you laugh the most? I actually do think it was that person. I think it was the lesbian couple. And mm-hmm. I'm a little biased because, you know, I like an effortless queer representation in mm-hmm. a film. And I thought that's what that couple was. Right. They never... There's one or two jokes about them being queer and just sort of the culture shock of like a a small town Southern guy being like, Oh, I think that one girl's into me. And Mark Brand's like, I don't know about that. You know? Yeah. But other than that, it's just presented as like, yeah, it's just this couple. Mm -hmm. They come in at the beginning. You don't know if they're friends or sisters, they kiss and you're like, okay, right. Lesbians. Love it. That's Mm -hmm. all I need. Yeah. I don't need to know about their whole backstory coming into this. <laughs> right, right. I don't yeah. know about Mark Marin's. Right. We talked about that ex for like a second, and I don't know anything about her, you know? Just make them queer. Make every character queer. Right. It's like, make them laugh. No. No, make them queer. Make them queer. <laughs> make them queer. Uh, speaking of Mark Marin's ex-girlfriend, um, the actress who plays her in this movie is actually the writer-director of the film. Oh, interesting. Lynn Shelton. Oh, who is uh? In- oh, and this was female written and directed. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It was because I didn't get that vibe. No, it felt more. It, it felt, felt, it felt a, male gaze. It felt a little male gazey, and it felt a little um, dare I say, broy at times. Interesting. Time. But you know, here's what I here's what I also want to say, and there are elements of this movie that I think you should not know before mm. you go in. But I had a in that same first 15 minutes that we're talking about, I had a very visceral reaction to the setting and the subject matter because there's a lot of um, stuff about how we're losing objective truth. Like that's right in your face, right at the beginning. And you have characters who are openly racist and like you have, 
a sense of unease with these queer characters entering a small town that's maybe not as hospitable to them. You right. know, I had a lot of anxiety about the setting. And also queer characters and Jewish characters. And Jewish characters, yeah. Mm-hmm. And very quickly, you know, I, I realized that wasn't the tone of the movie. And I thought it was interesting that there's a pair of sort of like blazingly racist characters that you meet about midway through the movie. And they're only in a couple scenes. And I actually did a comedy show with one of them. Oh, no shit. The skinny one. I I was on a comedy show with him once. He's really funny. And he's good in this movie too. But I was sort of surprised that they didn't play them as like the most evil characters. They sort of played them as these like unwitting dopes. Yeah. Yeah. Just like kind of like sort of a monk and skull from Power Rangers, you know, just like <laughs> dummies who are kind of strong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that, you know, this is definitely uh screwball comedy is a great way of putting it, but it's definitely like a mumblecore screwball comedy. Sure. I know mumblecore is not really a thing anymore, but Lynn Shelton was kind of a part of that scene. She was the, and, yeah, and the her, up and comer. <laughs> right. I mean, the movie that put her on the map was hump day uh, with Mark <gasps> Duplass. That's her? Yeah. I met her once. Oh. I yeah. was I'm going to keep name dropping people Listen, that I've met from the We're movie. in the home stretch. But um I was in a music video that she directed. Oh. It was an MTV web series. I have no idea what it was called, but it was set in Seattle and they used a bunch of local Seattle bands oh, funny. as the characters and I was a super fan for this uh band called Schoolyard Heroes. And the singer's side project, which was her like Gwen Stefani like pop music side project that band was in that mtv show and i was an extra in it and um she told she was the director and she told me i had to turn my shirt inside out because it had a logo on it it said star wars but then you only see me from behind and you can see the tag (laughs) so So lynn shelton i I, i'm so sorry i really liked this film but i think you made a small error in judgment Ten years ago on the set of an MTV show that I can't remember the name of. How she's still getting work is beyond me with yes. that kind of just, just that those destructive tendencies that she Does she to listen to this? Will she hear this? She will. I'm so sorry, Lynn, that I just put you on blast, but I, <laughs> I'm a critic now. You know, I have to say my objective truth. No, it's true because we have to stand with the vision of this movie that we need to preserve and protect uh, objective truth. Yes. Or at least combat and mock um, the the undermining of it. Yes, and I do think that's what I ended up loving about the movie is it's. I feel like it's very hard to make a political comedy set in America these days. Let's just leave it at that. Right. But I always appreciate when um, movies find a way to sort of make the peril that we're in sort of irreverent and funny and s- sort of approach it from a more... I guess that's why I liked the screwball aspects of it, because mm-hmm. this sort of layer of absurdism that they put on all these very real issues made it a lot more palatable. I will say that I felt vindicated um, in a recent argument that I had with Scott by one scene in this movie. Uh, so uh, we had... Because Scott is a uh, flat earther, right? Scott is a flat earther mm-hmm. and a hollow earther, mm-hmm. uh, which is a hard thing to pull How can off. You be both? It's you a know? hollow pancake, you know? It's just oh, like, is it just like a donut? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's basically, it's like, <laughs> it's, a, it's, like a, it's like a pancake. There's yeah. a little hole in the right. middle, though. No, that's all there is. and uh, It's like a frog in a... A toast. Yeah, what do you yeah, know? Yeah, it's a, a bun, in, bun in the oven? No. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't know, whatever that thing is. <laughs> uh, so, uh, no, we were talking, I can't even remember how it came up, but I think we were, we were with a friend and he was describing a new boss he has and he was saying, oh, she's very East Coast. 
And I was like, what is that code for? And they both looked at me like, what are you, what do you think it's code for? I'm like, well, people use that a lot to kind of be like, they mean Jewish. Oh, yes. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and they looked at me like I was an absolute monster. Yes. Uh, and I was like, that's a, a, a thing. There's a joke about that in the film. There is. Yes. So I felt vindicated because, <laughs> yes, whenever I think it's actually the two guys you're talking about, the two like buffoon racists yes. um, that try to menace Mark Marin at the hawk shop he works at in Birmingham, Alabama. And, um, and they're like, you see, where are you from originally? Which, of course, is a big question in our country right now. Um, where are you from originally? Uh, you seem very East Coast. And uh, and then they like, I think he like taps his nose when he says it. Oh, so, I didn't even catch that. Yeah. And because I think Marin says it. He's like, oh, what does that mean? East I, Coast. I was briefly checking my Animal Crossing town during that scene. Oh, so I think okay. I missed that. Well, that but, you happens. Know, the animals, they need a, they need a mare. <laughs> and, you know, I can't just drop everything to no. watch a Mark Marin film. You're a multitasker. <laughs> so I felt vindicated that that is actually a real thing. Uh, I would say that Jillian Shailene Woodley Bell really is, uh, in a lot of ways, the comedy stand out of this. Because she, whenever you watch her stuff, she just does it when she is like in the zone where she's just sort of like, you know, like just improving into someone's face. Like her eyes are very wide and defiant. Yes. And she's just sort of like, and you just can just get sucked <laughs> into like the madness of whatever insanity she's saying. And she's just giving it to you very straight and very intensely. I think that. I would like to basically see this whole cast reunited mm. and just like sort of like when when like Christopher Nolan's like okay all these people in Batman were so fun let's put them in this movie about dreams exactly you know I want to take this same cast and let's put them in a new environment one yeah. that's not so scary <laughs> yeah right without love with less triggers less yeah triggers. fewer triggers would be great that but would be great uh, like I said I thought that was going to be a big kind of bummer for me in the movie and it ended up not being yeah i i think they they managed to make a funny movie about unfunny things which is hard yeah i would agree it definitely operates at a very low gentle speed um and i would say it gets a little meandering especially in the final it doesn't seem like it knows how to resolve itself at the end it kind of just like literally starts to wander like literally even figuratively there's just wandering going (laughs) on and then it's just over um, so it doesn't it doesn't end with the most impact, but uh, but it is a really enjoyable uh, low key screwball comedy about the exact day and age that we live in. Um, by the way, um, did you ever watch Idiot Sitter? I've seen one episode. Okay, so Wait, that, who that are was, we talking about? That, from that? that was Shailene. That was Jillian. Shailene Woodley was in Idiot <laughs> yeah. Sitter. Oh, I knew I knew her from something. Yeah. other than Divergent. She's also in the in the Jump Street <laughs> remakes uh, or the Jump Street movies. Which I haven't seen, even though I like all the Lord oh, and Miller you stuff. See those. Yeah, I got those watch are a treat. Those. Uh, anyway, what, what are you going to give this one? I would say consume in moderation. You know, okay. this is something, and again, support indies. So if you're just an avid film buff, this is definitely one you should go support. Yeah. But if you are, like me, less compelled to go see a comedy in theaters, that's more of a home DVR thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe wait for home video release. But, you know, buy it. You know, okay, here's what I'm going to say. Okay. You know, in that sort of introductory period on iTunes where it's like you can rent it now for mm-hmm. $6. Right. Or you can wait two weeks and rent it at the normal two ninety nine price. Pay $6. Pay $6 for this movie? Oh, my gosh. What a bargain. <laughs> Nick, have I got news for you? Uh, sort of Trust is available now to rent on iTunes. Is it for 
free? It's a, it's a, it's a VOD. It's a day and date VOD theatrical oh, release. Okay. So you can actually. I thought it was so special watching it in my house on your screener. <laughs> oh, well, no. I mean, as of when this episode is out there, oh, it'll okay. be on iTunes. Because I, th- I thought I was just really. You still were. You still cool. were. You watched it before it's on iTunes. Very special. So you got it into the buzzer. Okay. Well, then I will definitely say um, this is one that you should rent. I like if you've got a few extra bucks and you've got two or three friends over, someone's going to buy the drinks, you get the movie. This is a good movie to put your money on. You can kind of talk when it gets boring. Right, exactly. And when it becomes funny, again, it's very obvious. It's very in your face when it's funny. So I think this is one to watch. I agree. Uh, Nick. Thank you for joining us on The Binge today. Thank you for having me. And I'm so glad that Rebecca's just <laughs> kicked out. She, She's not allowed she, back. She selflessly exiled herself. Yeah. And uh, the door does... There's a lot of smoke coming there in is. through under the crack of the door. So we're going to... It's hurry. getting a little warm. We're going to wrap this up as soon as we can. Uh, uh, Ooh, Nick, the doorknob just burned my hands. Ooh, we might go out the window. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and start cracking that. Mm-hmm, thank you. Uh, Nick, anything you want to plug? Where can people find you? Well, you know, um, I think that we shot some new episodes of Cool Mom, and they're going to be the only ones for this year because Jinx is... Uh, schedule is like out of this world so um check out the old episodes of cool mom they are rolling them out onto youtube and if you have a wow presents plus subscription you will see six to eight new episodes in the next few months so look forward to that and then i'm on twitter and instagram at sahoya h at the end and by Jinx, he means Jinx Monsoon, in case you uh, are not familiar just, with Nick's I dropped work. so many names today, <laughs> and I just couldn't drop one more. But yeah, you can also see um, Ben De La Creme, who I wrote some jokes for on the Haters Roast Live, the pay-per-view event. Wrote some jokes for her, wrote some jokes for Jinx. You can see the reunion episode of season 11 of Drag Race. I wrote a couple jokes that ended up on there. DM me if you want to know which ones. <laughs> Jason, now you talk about all the things you wrote. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I, what did I, you write? I used, to, I, used to, I used to write for Joan Rivers on Fashion Police. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Uh, I got a few jokes in, a few. Uh, none of which she could say today, but that's why she died when she did. Mm. Uh, and I heard that your jokes killed her. They were so they, funny. It was the last thing she ever said was a joke I wrote about Madonna having a dry vagina. Yeah, um, and I believe that uh, it was a bit like that Monty Python sketch. She read it once, and she laughed and laughed, and then they had to hide the joke. <laughs> they had to lock it away. Well, thanks again to Nick Sahoya for joining us. Thank uh, you for having me. I'll come back anytime. Yay! I love movies. We do too. Well, sometimes. This year, <laughs> mostly not, but uh, but it's starting to turn around. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning into this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes uh, if you're an Apple iPhone user, and also on Spotify, no matter what you're using, because we are on that thing now. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.